Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. I'm looking forward to this, and you're really going to be glad you were here. I'm going to turn it over to Gabe. That's Gabe, right. take it away, my man. Well... Like we said, it's going to be a little different tonight. Later on, we're going to have a chance to just open it up for some questions, and you'll get a number to text in for that. But we wanted to start uh, just by introducing, maybe you're, you're brand new here, maybe you don't know who we are. So the first question I'd like to ask is, who are you, and what are you doing here? So we'll start with you. Like in a philosophical, philosophical sense? Or like yeah, yeah. I want some sort of deconstruction of who is Tim. Yeah. Um, it just won't take that long. No. Uh, I'm uh, Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass Church, and have been here for about 10 years, and um, I've, uh, I'm the husband of one wife, and <laughs> father to three children, and uh, other than that, that's what's happening. All right, and who are you, and what do you do? I'm uh, Pastor Andre, and I've been here at Compass Church for a little over four years, and I've got issues. Oh, I've been married for 21 years. I'm a granddad of three beautiful grandbabies. I have three adult children. And again, I have issues. All right. What do you do? Yeah. Oh, um, I work at GCU. I'm a full-time <laughs> professor at GCU, chaplain out at Luke Air Force Base. A little bit of everything. All right. What do you teach at GCU? Christian worldview. I just thought it was cool that everybody knows that. Yeah. That's good, and it's relevant to the conversation. So... This would be a question more for you. So why did we do a Q&A panel discussion to, to end this series that we've been sitting in Colossians 3, and we've been talking about civility, and now we're doing this. So what, what's the reason for that? Well, in case you haven't noticed, we all look different up on this stage. In fact, Andre, how did you put it earlier when we were kind of getting this blocked out? Okay, so <laughs> when I raised my kids um, with the distinction of uh, pigmentation, I would be chocolate, Gabe would be caramel, and Brother Tim would be vanilla. Mm -hmm. I prefer pumpkin spice latte myself. Yeah. But yeah, so we're all different up here. And so we all have different backgrounds. And we're finding that it's more difficult for people of different pigmentation to understand each other, to talk to each other. That the media is, uh, and, and the culture is trying to more and more to divide us. And so we want to continue to model the fact that we can be different colors and have different backgrounds and actually not only understand each other and respect each other, but actually like each other and even A little at bit. times yeah. make fun of each other. Yeah. And is, is that, that's, that? That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Good. So we've been in this series in civility, and we've talked about all kinds of things throughout it, you know, just going through uh, Colossians 3 all the way through verse 22 or so right in there, and uh, we wanted to kind of park on verse 11, where it says, it says this, it says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, as we look at that verse and we think about what it means, um, I'd like you both to speak on this. What does this verse mean, and how can it help us contribute to the issue of civility in our society? Before we do that, though, should we put the text number up or let people know what the text Yeah, I guess is? they could start texting in. We'll answer those later. We're going to get through these questions first. But, yeah, we can go ahead and put that number up. And as you're thinking of things, you can kind of text those in, 
and I'll try to get to those questions as well. Yeah, you can text questions. Did you already say that, or was I not paying attention? I said that will be coming, yeah. Oh, okay. so this is, it's all right. I wasn't paying attention to you. It has He's nothing to do with you as a person or yeah. a squirrel. Yeah. Um, it's more about an issue about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm offended. Yeah. I'm highly offended that you weren't listening, yeah. okay. clinging to my every word. Okay, so what does this verse mean, and how can it help us contribute um, to the issue of civility in our society? It's um, one of the things that uh, Brother Tim and I have been talking about in this ongoing conversation is, is that when you hear that verse of what Paul was saying, he wasn't saying that our distinctives put us on a level playing field. He wasn't saying that. I find that many times when we talk about race relations, it's almost like we want to have a language that neutralizes our distinctions. We, we know God to be diverse, and so we can celebrate our distinctions, and that is the, the, the beauty of, of that. And so where some people will read that section of Scripture where he's um, saying Jew, Gentile, Greek, and all of that stuff to, to kind of mum or quiet it down. No, those were the issues that they were dealing with in the church. And some of the argumentation and conversations that they were having where they were making the distinctions of those things priority when they shouldn't. And so there's a healthy perspective to be gained. The fact that I'm an African-American, the fact that you're Filipino, the fact that you're Caucasian, there's a, there's a, a positive benefit to engage in conversation of our differences as we grow together. And I think that that's really, really important because the world tries to teach us to not pay attention to our differences and to have this unified language that's not really helpful in reality. There is no neutral language that we can all speak that doesn't take into account our differences, the way that we were raised, the fact that our pigment's different color. And so that's my take on it. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is it's not that Back then, you know, they were saying here there is no Jew or Greek, right. circumcised or uncircumcised. But there's, here there is no pecking order yes. of who's better than the other. And they were saying, well, I'm, I'm a Jew, so even though I'm a Christian, but I'm also a Jew, so I'm really better than you because I'm part of the chosen tribe. Or I'm circumcised, or I'm this, or I'm a slave, or I'm free, or whatever. And so there were different, there were different kind of um, stratifications of society. And Paul's saying... When Christ comes into the mix, we all need a Savior, so all of us are in the same boat. What I hear you saying, though, is that in a world that, that wants to um, somehow um, you know, make it, well, they're making a big deal out of race on the one hand, but you're saying we need to celebrate the fact that we come from different places, and that that shouldn't, the fact that we come from different places shouldn't be a point of division among right. us, right. right? That's exactly what I'm saying, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a difference from like where we try to say political correctness like don't say these things or don't bring a right. you know try to be colorblind or these types right. of things and the idea here is is to actually just treat each other like human beings indeed indeed i i think the fact that we're having this conversation is what it takes to have better relations the fact that we are willingly going to talk about the different things between us in order to come to a greater understanding between us and it's really crazy because the world has its own agenda and that's the thing I think as a church it's been laid out that in the gospel we're free in Christ and our distinctives can be celebrated and we should not fear having these conversations I don't think a perspective of being politically correct in our vernacular should even be a perspective that we even engage in that's not a Christian worldview 
Not at all, not at all. If I say something that offends you, let me know that I offended you and let's talk through it so I can apologize if that's the case or explain my meaning behind what you heard so that we can grow to a greater understanding between our differences. So let me ask you just like, okay, so for example, as a white guy, yep. I, I, I go, I look at you. <laughs> I'm a black guy. And you're a black guy. But I go, okay, do I call him an African-American? Oh, that's good. Do I call him a black guy? Do I call I mean, what, what do I call you? Because, like, no one calls me a European-American. Right, right. Because right. that would be weird, right? Because right. I'm not even really European. Like, I'm going to call my, you that my, from now on. Yeah, I mean, like, my, my <laughs> one-quarter Australian. My mother is half Australian, so no one calls me an Australian-American. Right, right. And then if there's, a, if there's a dude here who's from Africa, yep. he, he's not an American. He's like an African-African. You know what I'm saying? So, like, is it, can I call you a black dude? And I, like, because I feel like, oh, I can't call you a black guy because it's offensive. I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I, would, I would hope that uh, Andre would be fine. Um. <laughs> I'm offended by that. I can't call you Andre the black dude? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> only if you speak in third person. <laughs> no, no but, no, but I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, look, at one time, when I was younger, when I would fill out documentation, I was black. As I've gotten older, now I'm African-American. Um, and so I guess the point to answer your question is, is that, how should I say it? That's not what's important. That's not what's important. Um, if, if you want to refer to me as a black person because of my pigmentation, go for it. Go for it. If you want to refer to me as African-American because those are some of the classifications in our vernacular, then go for it. Go for it. But here's the thing. It can't be an offense until I know that there's a motive behind it that's offensive. Right. Otherwise, it's just a classification for who I am based on the color of my skin, and I shouldn't have an issue with that. Mm, that's good, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, because yeah. we're, we're fighting the wrong arguments. We're having the wrong arguments because we're getting caught up in the rhetoric of, of, of language, which is the theory of, that I have is, is that we need to change the language. We need to change the language. In order to um, develop true communication, then we've got to take some of the racially motivated traditional wordage, and we've got to redefine it. We can do that as a church. We can do it as a church. I mean, uh, anyway, okay, much more to be said, but I'm sorry. But no, but, but give me an example of what you mean by that. Okay, so uh, let, me, let me just share. Many of you guys, it was all over the news, uh, the situation that happened at GCU um, with a colleague of mine who was an African-American. Um, some things were said over a year ago, it was brought back to light, and a whole big hubbub was made about it. What was unfortunate about that situation is, is I was part of that conversation, and the context in which he used the word, um, I, to this day, don't know what he did was wrong. But yet we live in a hypersensitive society that they want to take buzz things, and they want to attach meaning to them, and um, blow it out of proportion. What, what bothers me the most is, is that as Christians, so many times we look at the human secularistic perspective or the worldly perspective, and we look at the arrows or the bullets that they hurdle at us, and we go in a defensive posture. Me and Brother Tim talked about this at length. Why don't we as Christians challenge premise? In other words, why don't we not assume meaning when people approach us about our Christianity and things of race? Why do we, why do we assume that they even know what they're talking about? If somebody comes at us as believers we sh and the premise is off, we should reject the premise. We should reject the premise. We don't do that. And unfortunately, as the rest of the story goes, we have, I have a colleague who is pretty much not working um, because of the social climate and some things that we're trying to put a Band-Aid on and, and, and fix those things. But 
Um, in order for us to have true race relations, we can't be afraid to, to have conversations. I don't know that if a lot of people heard about that, though. Can, I mean, can you t can, how specific can you be? There was a, there was a panel discussion like yeah, this. Yeah, there was, a, there was a panel discussion just like this, and we were talking on the topic of social justice. Um, at GCU, one of the things that's really cool about working at a university is, is we have these things called uh, forums. And these forums are safe spaces, kind of like this dynamic, where we have students and we deal with these hard issues, and students and faculty are in one conversation. And it's a real cool scenario. It's really, really cool. And sometimes in that scenario, kind of like when any of us preach, we get kind of passionate depending on the topic, right? And sometimes we say things in emotion, but context is always what dictates what we mean when sometimes we don't use the right words, right? And that's what happened. Uh, a colleague had said something. It was in relationship to Black Lives Matter. Um, he and I were the only um, professors of color, so it was directed to one of us. He was in charge in his position in one of the perspectives. And let me just share this with those of you who are non-black. The Black Lives Matter movement is not a monolith, okay? So don't make the assumption that because I'm black, I would follow the tenets of what they're, they're preaching because I don't, okay? But you're not going to know that unless you have a conversation with me, right? And so I guess the point I'm getting at is, is that we need to have more conversations like this um, so that we can grow so that we can grow. And here's the crazy part of it. The crazy part of it is, is when you look around, what is your circle made of? You know, there's a, there's a degree of intentionality that has to take place so that we don't fall into the same nomenclature as society is trying to, trying to perpetuate. So there was a, you have an African-American colleague yep. who made a comment about Black Lives Matter. Right. And Black Lives Matter found out about it. Right, yeah. And then came back at the school. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the safe way to t say it. There's more details, but yeah, that's basically what happened. Yeah. And okay. so the school took a position of um, investigation. And um, a colleague of mine is, is not working right now. And after the investigation, I'm sure there will be something publicly said um, and a decision made whether to bring the professor back or not. So investigation is ongoing now. So yeah, it's crazy. So as, as you're kind of talking and you're, you're working through this, you, you kind of hinted at this already, but how do we live in unity? You know, like what are we supposed to do? How we live in unity and still maintain and even celebrate diversity? How do we do that? You know what would, I, again, just I think this conversation. So what, what kind of spurs this on or what gets us with why we want to do this is because we'll have offline conversations. We had one a couple weeks ago, the three of us back in the green room. Yeah. And we just start talking. And all of a sudden, as we're talking, we go, oh my gosh, I wish everybody in the church could hear this because like, this is real stuff that we're talking about. But here's the question I, I just want to ask you because I think this is to answer that question. If we have to engage each other, like, m one of the things that I want to know is help me understand, like, like you know, there are a lot of people in this room are white. I mean, we have, you know, we're getting more and more of a mixture. But like, for the non-black people in here, what, what is it that, what is like one thing that you feel like you would want us to know about how you see the world as a, as a black person that maybe we just, you feel like we don't get. You know what I mean? Like, what's something about your experience being a black dude, <laughs> um, if I could say that, just kidding, from our earlier conversation, that is like, you know, that you feel like, man, 100. white people don't get it. You know what I mean? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tiered, because I'm trying to think of how I can, um, um, okay, so let me approach it this way. Um, don't assume that a minority is complaining. 
that would be a big one because there's a lot of stereotypes um, that are associated to people groups that aren't always true. Um, if somebody seems to be saying something over and over again, um, listen to what it is that they're saying. Um, and this goes with all, I believe, with, with all individuals. It goes with all individuals. Um, uh, language is, is really where I think I'm going to build my perspective on this going forward. Um, we use words like unity and equality, but depending on if you're African-American, Hispanic, or if you're Chinese, or if you're whatever the case might be, those words have different meaning associated to them. And so if you're having a conversation and your projection of your definition of that word, you believe that the person you're talking to doesn't have that same understanding or does have that same understanding when they don't, then you're in an impasse in your conversation. And so really, we're at a time in our lives, not to mention uh, social media and all of that stuff where uh, interpersonal communication has drastically been cut down, we've got to ask the question, is this what you mean when you say this? We have to define these things because once we define these things, then we can relate to one another. That's what it is. We have to relate. Like, Brother Tim, this question is very awesome. So how can I approach these things with you? Well, number one, hopefully the relationship lets us be straight up with one another. So you're not fearful for the words that you use because the relationship dictates the motivation of using that word. So don't look for the proper word to say so that you don't offend Pastor Andre or you don't hurt his ears. No, because that's even more of an offense if you're trying to look for a neutral word to say that won't offend me because you will offend me. So tell me how you feel. Our relationship based in true relationship is going to hold up during it and we have those hard conversations. And so, and so, for example, for the majority of you guys out there, don't be afraid of black people. Simple as that. Don't be afraid of black people. Don't be afraid. Don't get caught up in the news media hype. And don't be afraid. If you have black people who are in your circles of influence, go and talk to them about these issues because they, too, are dealing with the same stressors that you're dealing with. And oh, by the way, if you don't have black people in your circles of influence, then go find some. There's a bunch of us around. <laughs> but where do we where do we find them? <laughs> but, but in other words, well, I, but I like that. So in other words, don't don't assume when you when you see an African American person that they're you know that they're they're angry at the world and they're angry at you and that they see you through the eyes of which is portrayed oftentimes in the media as you know you've done wrong to them and everything else and so you're like oh shoot I'm sorry for almost like I'm sorry for my very existence because I represent your you know history and everything else is what you see sometimes this extreme kind of stuff that's not where that's not where a lot of blacks are at then it's right I mean it's not where you're at it's just like you you're just going no you're you want to you want you want to engage in with people right. as well is what right. I'm hearing you say and 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 it's funny you mentioned it that way because by having the conversation, you can tell the motivation. If, yeah. if there's a minority who wants to stay in a victim posture, then that's all they're gonna do is talk about the same old, same old. But when you have a conversation with somebody else who is looking for progress, guess what you do together? You grow. You, you, you talk about ideas, you talk about solutions to those ideas, and you work through those things. Let me ask you a question, just anybody. And it's kind of rhetorical, but let me ask you a question. Say I'm a black man and I'm being oppressed. Why would I go to my oppressors seeking equality? Is that a realistic perspective of mine to seek equality from the one who's oppressing me? And, and the reason why I say that is, is because it's a philosophical construct that I believe that we have to change. We have a country that has been built on the class system. 
And truth be told, truth be told, you can akin our class system to a lesser degree to some of the differences that we have as believers in the body of Christ. Not all of us have the same giftedness or skill set. Some of us are pastors, some of us are not. Some of us are deacons, some of us are servants. Some of us do this, some of us do that. And so to say that the class system in and of itself is a bad thing, man, I would I'd really challenge that premise. Now, do men tend to break things when they get their hands on them? Absolutely. But if we can have a conversation and, and, and talk about these distinctions, I think that's the greater narrative that we should have as Christians. We've got to take back the narrative. But, you know, you talk about like a victim mentality. I mean, you would you'd be somebody that would say, hey, listen, you know, we, you can, like, you, there's certain things that, that race might, you know, you might be perceived a certain way, but you can break through those barriers, can you not? Most definitely, most definitely. I mean, one of the things about minorities at large is, is that they're minorities. And so, unfortunately, because we live in a world that's fallen, there is um, oppression that takes place. I mean, that's, that's real easy to notice. Okay, um, and so when we think about these conversations, we have to have a true lay of the land. You might not, as a majority member, might not be directly involved in the oppression of another people group, but to nullify what they are experiencing, you put yourself in jeopardy of true relational development moving forward. And so we, we gotta do a lot more listening to one another to, to hear the struggle, to hear the plight, um, might I say, engage in that conversation so that we grow together. Because it's, it's real. It's real. And the hard part of it is, is with the media and all that, we don't know what parts of the conversation are true. And so what we'd like to do, because it's within our human nature, is we'd like to just not engage in the conversation at all. Well, then how do we grow as a people if we don't have the conversation, right? This right here is awesome. Because you don't see many churches doing this. You know, this will live stream and Gabe, Brother Tim, myself, we can be attacked on social media because of what we say. Are you afraid to be attacked? Because you got to ask that question. And there's a lot of people who are afraid, and, and because they're afraid, they won't truly engage the conversation. And because they don't engage the conversation, um, I have a, a hard understanding if that's what Christ would do. Because when he came, that's what he was all about is killing the social nomenclature to have these conversations. The woman at the well, it goes on and on. Just a thought. You know, at the same time, though, I think, like, we have to, I mean, you know, we have to acknowledge that all of us, like, I go to the gym, and like, I, I am, when I go to the gym, and I, like, there's, because I'm, I'm 165 pounds dripping wet. I'm not the strongest guy. So I go into the gym, and I could go, oh, you know, I, I'm made a certain way, so I can't perform at a level of this guy or this guy or this guy, and that's not fair. Um, and I can, I can look at life like that, or I can go, you know what? I have to, I, I realize I'm in, I'm in a system or I'm in an environment that, that I can perform, you know, well in some ways and not well in other ways, but I have to kind of just, you know, there's sometimes I have to say, Either I'm going to look at it like, oh, it's not fair that I'm, I'm not made this way or not made that way, not put in this place, not put in that place. Or I can go, you know what, i got to take where I'm at and move forward as best I can and not focus on whatever my perceived limitations are. Because I feel like, like, even, and again, not to bring up this, but to bring up this up, you know, you have like the LGBT movement. And it started like LG, and then it went LGB, and then it went LGBT. Now it's LGBTQ, LGBTQI. 
A plus. Okay, I'm we're running out of letters on the alphabet. Now it doesn't mean that 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 because at some point you go, how many more categories are going to be seen as oppressed before we go? Well, I'm oppressed because I'm this way, or I'm oppressed because I'm that way. And like, at what point are we just going to kind of jump the proverbial shark, and people are just going to go, fine, everybody's oppressed in some way or another. I mean, Gabe's oppressed because he can't even claim that he's full Filipino, you know? It's true. You have to make like adobo with fries or something. Yeah, like you he, can't make a full Filipino Yeah, meal. it's got to be partial. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you answer that while you recover. Um, and then I want to I hit some of these questions before we run out of time. <laughs> so his question here, you know, like, is there, is there going to be some, like, how do we correct this thing before it's like, you know what, everybody's oppressed. Everybody's but, yeah, I mean, how far, does, how far do you see that going? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, th I think the church has to take the lead on this. Because um, all the other conversations have agendas, right? And so when you think about the Christian narrative, that's the only, only foundational um, progressive agenda that brings true equality. And it does it without fear. And so if you were to write the ship, it would start with everyone in this room making a conscious decision to go out and have a conversation. That would be a very, very good start to With all With someone this. who's different than you. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and the other side of it is too, don't assume that someone who is like you isn't diverse from you. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Because, because what we like to do is we like to segment people and categorize people, and you know why we do it, let's be real. The reason why we do it is because it takes work to get to know somebody. So if I can make some assumptions about somebody and we can keep our relationship at a, a shallow level, then that's all good, right? We're, we're in a place in this world where we've got to go deep. We've got to go deep and really find out what makes each other tick. And so I think, I think honestly, I think if, if God were sitting right here, right, he would say, church, why aren't you doing what I've mandated for you to do? I think we should be leading this conversation. I think more churches should be doing this. Let me get to some of the questions because we've had some start to get text in. Um, one here that I wanted to see is explain according to scriptures why it is that only men preach. And I'll get to why this applies. Slash teach the scriptures when it says that we are all, referring back to our verse in Colossians, we are all in Christ. Are women excluded from this type of leadership in the church? So now we've kind of gone from the racial issue to the gender issue. And, and now we're trying to talk about equality, not only, not only in the, the big sense, but in specific senses here. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and it's going to continue to be a question the, as, and more and more as the culture pushes against God-ordained uh, distinctions between men and women. So if you can understand it this way, and this is the best way can I, exp I can explain it, because first of all, not every church sees it that way. Not every church in our denomination sees it that way. Um, we have done a lot of conversations. We talked a lot about this. We had a Creative Differences series last a couple of years ago where we talked about um, the, the beauty of, of men and women and the distinctions that are there. The reason that we, uh, that you will see men um, exclusively doing the preaching from the platform, you will see women leading worship here, you will see women being involved in, in, uh, on stage in all kinds of leadership. There's, we have a female producer of our services who after the service sits down with me 
and several others in a debrief session and helps critique my sermon or whoever the speaker is. Um, but the reason that we, we do that is because of how we see preaching. We do not see preaching as the communication of information in a classroom. We see preaching as authoritative and transformative. And we feel like the best way to model that and the best way to communicate that is not just any dude coming up here. Are there better women preachers than men preachers? Absolutely. Is there anything you... specifically wrong with a female preacher or that she's bad somehow. I'm not saying that. What we want to say is because of how we view what happens here, we, we want to preach authoritatively. And there is an idea of headship that's, that's talked about very specifically in the church, and it translates then in the home. And we feel like the, way, the best way we model that, really metaphorically, visibly, mani- in a manifestation, is to challenge our men to lead their homes in a loving way, and we want to see that modeled by what happens here. Some churches take this to such a crazy extreme, they won't even let women teach uh, children in a children's ministry. I happen to think that's nuts, because women raise boys, you know what I mean? Like, like they won't let the, a woman ra- uh, teach a, a young man. That, to me, is crazy. Like, we would never do that. But, what, but up here, when it comes to the preaching of God's Word, because, again, we see it authoritatively, um, that's the position that we take and have taken on that. Um, and so we don't really make any apologies for that. It has nothing to do with the fact that a woman, of course a woman, I would vote for a woman for president. I would vote, I, I report to women in the Air Force. Uh, I, I salute women in the Air Force who, who outrank me. Uh, I've, no, I've never had a problem with that. In fact, I love all of the fact that there has been so much, I see what women bring to all walks of life. However, because of the distinct and unique role that happens here, uh, we believe that it's best modeled by the voice of a man who's been called and who has done the, the work, not just any guy. We're very selective and specific on that. So that's how I'd answer that question. Good. Uh, one, one on here I thought was very good is we need to turn our society from a fixed mindset. This is some of the language that we've used here to a growth mindset. How do we stimulate this at all levels, uh, cultures of, of Americans? How do we do that? Using your influence. I mean, simply. I think you get so caught up in the big picture that you really forget the practical aspect of, of you know, getting to that goal. I think we all have influence, and I think we start having the conversation with the circles of influence that we have. And what does that look like? Well, within the church, we're all in different positions, correct? We all have different professions where we have influence, and I think intentionality is the key to all of it. You know, just taking um, and being a good steward of, of the voice that God's given you and just using it. You know, if, something, if something's being projected that's incorrect, making a stand for it and having the conversation, having the conversation. I'll give you a good example. I had a, I had a conversation with, um, with a, a colleague, and uh, the nature of something that happened, they made a judgment on it. Something was said, and they, they were like, well, Andre, you got to admit what that person said is wrong. And I said, no, I'm not going to admit that because I don't know the motivation behind what was said. See what I mean? And so it seems to me that sometimes in culture, especially in society, we see a lot of people who are jumping to these conclusions and pouncing and judging one another without even asking the, the real question, how did you come to whatever it is that I perceive? Because you'll find sometimes the motivation isn't what you thought it was, Right. And so I think uh, we as a church, I think, again, we should control the narrative. We should take it back and control it. I'd like to add to that. I think part of it is 
when you say discussion, this means an actual discussion. Yes. Things aren't solved. No arguments have ever been won on Facebook. And if you think you like, I won one, you didn't win it. You just said the last thing, and that was <laughs> there was no actual winning or anything like that. It's an actual, and it's not an argument where you're trying to win. It's it's a conversation where you're trying to learn. So I would say we've moved to a society where opinion making is actually the first like go to and and speaking that opinion is more important than actually forming it so in in the past what you had to do is is you had these levels of learning you'd have grammar um where you're trying to learn language and a foundation of of learning and then you would move on to kind of the logical side where you're trying to put thoughts together, and then finally you go to rhetoric where you actually form your own opinions. And we've moved to a society where we just jump right to the rhetoric. We don't even have the same language. We didn't spend any time trying to form those opinions. You just have those opinions, and therefore it's good. And, and so we start the conversation trying to be understood before we try to understand. And I've heard you use this language. So really how we do this isn't by trying to, you know, not say anything, peacekeeping, which has been mentioned several times throughout this series, but peacemaking, where you actually say, hey, I don't understand that. Can we meet and talk? Because I, I, I value as a human being, because that's when you say the gospel is the way to do it, because the gospel is the only thing that says we inherently have dignity and value. So therefore, I'm going to start from there and have that conversation. And we also have sin. I mean, that's the thing that we all share, too. So yeah. we, because of our sin, we also need the same Savior, you know. And that, that's, again, something that makes it more common. Like, I have more in common with you than I do a fellow white person who doesn't have Jesus. And I think that's what we have to understand. You know, I have more in common with a non-American non a person of my non-ethnic background who doesn't even speak my language i have more in common with them if they are a christian and worship jesus than i do with someone with my own flesh and blood who doesn't know jesus because we've come to a mutual understanding of our standing before god and the redemption that's been given us and that's why the gospel is so transformative because it makes me look at you and go it's not about these things you know and yet, you know, you and I talk about this too. You know, you've said you struggle with like the whole concept of tokenism, right? You don't want to be the token black guy. And, and I've said that before too because I said, dude, I don't see you as um, Andre, you know, the black preacher. I, I see you as Andre the preacher who's black and I, like who just happens to be that, that, of that ethnicity. At the same time though, you've said, but I also have to acknowledge that this is, this is who I am, you know? Let me, that's a good point, and I think there's a question, well, it's not really a question, it's a statement. So somebody's upset because they're talking about, uh, they think it's important that Christians do not look through a racial lens, and, and actually saying that that's what's happening here. Uh, what would you say to racial lenses, and first of all, can you remove those lenses? Or Man, that's, I, first, whoever said to that text, thank you for your boldness, yeah. because that tension is exactly where we've got to be. Let me just say it this way. Be very careful of how you project your definition of a racial lens because the truth is, is that Jesus himself was a man of color. And so to think that there is a lens that does not include the distinctives that we have to include our personalities and the color of our skin, that's just simply not reality. That's just not reality. 
And so once again, once again, if you look at race as being negatively charged in its subject, then let's go back and let's find a better definition so that we can talk about our distinctives. We have a God who's revealed himself through diversity. And what that looks like is, is it looks like in our vernacular, different races. And that's not something that we have to be negative about. So I would reject the premise of you approaching me with that question of saying that the conversation is negative because we're using a racial lens. No, I think exactly the opposite. Help me understand your differences because of your ethnicity and what that looks like as you live out your life in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ and I live out mine. And but we see, do that together. Yeah, I understand that question a lot and I can appreciate it. I think that, that you know, one of the things that where we have the tension is that, like, for me growing up, um, I just kind of said, like, like, being a white person or, you know, that, that hasn't really... Um, how do I say it? Well, let me give you this example. I was talking with an Asian guy, um, who, the Asian pastor friend of mine, and, and he was talking about a job he was applying for. There was a massive church, a church of like 20,000 people that was headhunting him, wanting him to be like the second in command of this church. And, and, they, and he says, well, one of the reasons that they like me is because I'm Asian and I can speak to that culture. And so I made some kind of comment like, like, well, that's nice. You know, it must be nice for you. You know, you have this Asian thing that allows you to, to get into this, you know, have this shoe into this church that's a largely like an Anglo church. And he, and he understood what I said, but he said, yeah, but you don't know how many churches I would never be considered for because I'm Asian. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I thought about that. And I thought, you know, like would this, if, if I were to leave this church, would we, would we hire an Asian senior pastor? Would we hire a black senior pastor? Would we hire an Hispanic senior pastor? Um, you know, Half Filipino. No, we wouldn't have hired guy. You know, but, but that's been sitting in the wings. You know, <laughs> <laughs> waiting for his chance. But but here's here's what I mean. I think what the point Andre's trying to make. So here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Is I sit there and go, oh, you get a shoe in because you're this race or you're this ethnicity, and that helps you because you're different. But he came back with, yeah, but you don't know how how often being different has excluded me from certain things. Not because people actively do it, but just they just automatically say, no, he wouldn't fit here because of this. And so I think what I'm trying to say is, is, that, is that what Andre is trying to say from being someone who, who's, the fact that he is black has been a much bigger deal for him than me being white, because I'm like, well, I'm just white. Like, like I look on TV and all the movie stars are white, or all the people on the commercial are white, or all the cartoon characters are white, or whatever, so you never think about it. And so I think what he's trying to say is, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I have to be honest, like this has been a part of my life. I've had to, I've had to deal with this. You know, I've had to become someone who has been seen, you know, like maybe scary at times or angry at times. And, you know, I've had to explain myself. So I think it's just an acknowledgement of that. That's why we're bringing it up and saying, rather than saying it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, you can say it all you want, but the person who is in that skin color it's mattered for them, you know, where maybe it hasn't mattered for me as much other than just being annoyed at, at, at how much guilt I'm, is thrown on me from the, at the news, you know, from the news media because of my, because my parents own slaves or whatever, because I'm this majority culture. Not saying that that's not a factor, but it's not a daily factor in my interactions with people. Is that, am I saying that right? I see where you're going. I see where you're going. I really do. But I'm right. I do. I do. I see where you're going. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that um, we would try to deny the fact that we see the world a certain way. Yeah. It, it's really interesting to me. It, it really is because 
that's just not gospel centric. That does not communicate who God is and the diversity that he displays. Um, again, again, I mean, it's a great thing that we're not homogeneous as a nation. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. There's, there's much more community. There's much more life to be experienced because of our different culture. There's so much more to be gained. I mean, take it the other way. What if we were all the same? I'm just saying, think it through. Think it through. Um, and just because there's tension, let me just ask you this. What matures without tension? What matures without tension? I don't, I, I, tell me. I don't know. There's been a couple questions concerning just uh, asking, essentially, is the, is the issue really race? Or is it just anger in general? Do we live in a culture that is just angry? And you think about it, you know, I don't know how many things you see nowadays where they do these DNA tests and we're all actually like, it's not really too many distinctions anymore. Uh, we come from a, you'd be surprised on your family tree uh, where you come from. But uh, is the issue really race, racial issues, or is it really just the depravity and anger and hate? in our own hearts. I think it originates with sin. It was interesting even when I was, I spent some time in Honduras and even just l down there, I, m I made some comment. I said, hey, my wife is half Mexican. And, you know, I was just kind of making a kind of a joke about that. And this guy pulled me aside and said, um, Hondurans don't like Mexicans here. So stop saying that. And in my mind, I'm like, dude, you're all Hispanics, man. You're south of the border. What? Aren't you all on the same team? Like, I didn't say that, but that's my mind. That's what I thought. And then I realized that there's, that there's gradations of everybody. So to answer your question, even if we were all the same skin color, we'd still find a way to say, I'm different than you, therefore I'm better. And that's sin. You know what I mean? So we're all, we would find, um, you know, every, it's the slightest gradation. That's why we even see it with gender, the gender war. There's no reason to have a gender war. Um, but it, it, I think you're right. I think that question is very well asked. It does come out of an anger and a heart of sin. Our, our job here is to try to like, how do we talk through it? And for you to see that there is a unity here, that there is a brotherhood here, that, um, that there is a, we, we see the world differently, but yet we've had conversations to talk these things through, and it's just, it's felt good to see things and to be like taught from each other in a sense. Amen. That's good. Okay, so I want to get a few more of these. Um, Speak to stereotypes and how it affects conversation. I think you've, you've touched on it a bit. Maybe we can unpack that a little more because kind of one of my goals in here is for people to be able to have conversations. So maybe drive that fear out of like, am I going to say something? Am I going to cross a line? Uh, speak to stereotypes and how it affects our conversations. I think you too. You can answer. Yeah, that as I don't. Well. I don't generally think. I don't want to stereotype a, you out of the question. Yeah, I don't think that a stereotype is necessarily wrong. I think how far you take it in the relationship is where we go wrong with it. I think honestly, stereotyping is kind of a protective measure, a little bit in some ways. Um, it's a way for us to um, find commonality. It's a way for us to relate. I think that when you relegate an individual to a stereotype solely, is where you go wrong. Um, for example, um, I'm just one of the African Americans that doesn't really like watermelon. I'm just saying. I'm, you know what I mean? Great Kool-Aid, fried chicken, that's another thing. But, you know, watermelon is not me. You know what I mean? And we laugh, we laugh because <laughs> of the ignorance of that stereotype, right? right. 
But then you'll have some people who will take it too far. And let's just say you would invite somebody over your house. They would assume that on the menu for dessert, something healthy, let's consider watermelon. Well, if that was the case, I'd say thank you, but no thanks. You see what I'm saying? And so <laughs> I digress, but that's the point. The point is, is that I think stereotyping, I think it's okay. I think it's, it's a way for us to relate to one another, to prepare ourselves for the personality right. of another person. And in that situation, you wouldn't be offended. You'd actually be kind of like, wow, they actually tried right. to think of right. me. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. But we talked about this before with the whole fried chicken thing. And you're like, I like fried chicken. And I'm like, well, why do you like fried chicken? And then you're like, well, I got to tell you why black people like fried chicken. And I was like, kind of freaked out by that whole thing. But so help me understand that. Well, it just has to do with economics. I mean, you know, um, depending on where you were raised, you tend to have a disposition to certain menu types. I mean, that's just what we're talking about, right? Um, did not experience caviar until I was older. Well, you know, for obvious reasons, right? Caviar is a little bit more expensive. Uh, the way I was raised, that wasn't part of my regular menu, and so I didn't know anything about it until I got a little bit older. And that's okay. That's the but thing. the point it's okay. is, it's not like it's a super offensive thing. No, it's never Like, offensive. that's the whole no. point. Like, because you hear, oh, don't ever say that a black person likes fried chicken. I'm like, I didn't even know the black people like fried chicken until you, everybody made a big deal I'm out of it. I'm offended by people like, who don't like fried hey, chicken. Well, I hold mean, on, hold on. Then you're like, hey, food. black people like fried no. chicken. I go, oh my gosh, no. I can't believe you're saying that. But hold on, have you ever been to Lolo's? Yeah. Has anybody no. been to Lolo's? Come on, give me, yeah, exactly. We're going there after service yes. tonight. I would tell you, if you're, if you're non-African American, go to Lolo's. It's amazing. I'm just saying, chicken fried chicken, are you kidding me? With grape drink? Are you kidding? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm, I, I hear you. We're just asking uh, for grace to be extended from you as we're kind of up here and we're going to be kind of speaking from the heart, answering questions, and really trying to apply the Bible to the world we live in today. So uh, first off, I'm going to start off by kind of introducing ourselves. So we'll start with you, sir. Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass Church, uh, husband to one wife, father to three kids, and happy to be here. I will say, too, this is, a, this is not a representative panel, by the way. So um, you might go, well, why isn't like someone like this person here that, you know, there's just a few of us up here yeah. talking. The point is not to be a representative panel, just a, just a diverse group of people to some degree that are on our pastoral staff, just kind of, you know, talking. Yeah, about I'm not stuff. here representing all the half Filipino Americans in the country. So well, you I, are because there's like oh, not that many. There's of you. just me and my sisters. So that's it. Uh, Nope, nope, I see the amen. We got a half Filipino. Amen. Never mind, we yeah. got a whole half Filipino amen. crowd over here. Yes. It's growing. As she starts We're to wave. Growing. You're bringing yes. them all out here, That's man. Right. It's awesome. Not to right, enforce stereotypes, but we'll cheer for Pacquiao later. All right. <laughs> Just kidding. We'll get into stereotypes later. We'll get, yeah. So go on. You're Tim, lead That's pastor. It. You also are uh, a chaplain. Yeah, I'm a reserve, uh, ch a chaplain in the Air Force Reserve, um, largely because of that guy. And... Uh, and then I also work with our denomination on starting new churches and whatnot. So, yeah. Awesome. You, sir. Hey, man, I'm a pastor, Andre, associate pastor here. Um, been here for almost five years, professor at GCU, adjunct at Ottawa University and Rio Salado College, um, connection group leader, married for 21 years, one wife, uh, three adult children, and three granddaughters. Right. Woohoo! That's all right. We'll clap for you, Andre. Um, <laughs> You, you can't do it now. It's too late. It's like late. It's too late. No. I'm Gabe. I'm the executive pastor here uh, over worship and operations. And I also, too, been married for, I've been married for 10 years. Got that right. 
and uh, have two kids. And uh, I've been here at Compass. Man, there's a lot of snickering going on. As, uh, I've been here at Compass for seven years. Um, but again, we're excited to be up here. So I want to start off, you know, why, why are we doing this um, instead of the regular routine, what we do majority of the time around the year? Yeah, uh, it, most of, more than anything else, this is an application of everything we've been talking about over the past bunch of weeks with civility, trying to dialogue, talk through some things. And more than anything else, when we talk about the issue, especially of race relations or ethnic relations, um, the church was largely absent throughout a lot of this back 100 years ago. Um, it's amazing how many, for example, not to pick on you know, Southern Baptists per se, but just that was the dominant amount of you know, Protestant churches in the South and how many churches, how much, how prevalent church culture was in the South, and yet how segregated that society uh, was for so long. And the church, ha the church missed a tremendous opportunity to speak into that. And so we, as we are seeing, as the society is feeling this um, in, in its different various forms, we're not, we're not sitting here trying to be reactionary. What we're trying to do is say, how do we offer a different way forward for the ills that society is identifying. And, and within that, um, our theme verse for today is in Colossians 3.11, where it says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So as we look at that verse in Colossians 3, what does that verse mean, and how can it help contribute to the issues of civility in our society? In Christ, we are unified, and that's huge. Um, one of the things that he was dealing with in the church was a class system that was perpetuating itself. And our conversation is, is for us to build on the true foundation that in Christ, we are unified. Yeah, and, and so the idea is that because of the gospel, we, we have a common language, we have a common a common thing that's happened to us. We are sinners who have been saved by the grace of Jesus, no matter what our status, socioeconomically, our gender, our language, our culture, we all share that. And so we, uh, while on the one hand, we don't just, we aren't blind to our differences, we can approach our differences differently because they no longer are things that separate us. We actually become part of this amazing tapestry of God's grace. That's good. So as we're getting into this, this is why we're doing it. We're, we're going to have, we're going to basically model the discussion is kind of our hope for today that you would, you'd have that. So as we get going here, we're going to answer a few questions here off the bat that, that we want to get into concerning the text that we're in. But if you'd like to, to text in a question concerning what we're talking about, you know, as we're talking about um, grace being the overall theme, considering our diversity and all those things. Uh, go ahead and text those in, and we'll, we'll try to answer as many as we can. We run out of time every time. It's funny how that works. And uh, I'll try to get in as many questions as I can. So how do we live in unity and still maintain and even celebrate our diversity? Well, let's start off by setting um, a level playing field. What's represented up here is chocolate, <laughs> caramel, and vanilla. Just to ease the tension. I prefer pumpkin spice latte, actually. It's good. There's always one. <laughs> but how do, we, how do we celebrate and maintain uh, our diversity and still live in unity? How, how does that happen? I think part of the, um, 
gospel narrative is that we celebrate a God of diversity. And I think so much in human secularism or the argumentation that's going on in the media and social vendor, venues, it tries to narrow the conversation to just being about our differences. The Christian testimony is the only testimony that we have where we're all equal under a holy God who displays his love through diversity. Where the world would try to say it's a negative conversation to have and pointing out our distinctions with one another, we have a gospel that says no, under Christ, because of our distinctions, we can become one and grow together as one with one another. Whole different argumentation. So that's why we have this conversation. And we can, the whole idea too is we want to be able to, we do want to celebrate these things or we can talk about them. Amen. You know, we, on the one hand, like Andre and I have talked about this a lot, you know, um, it's, it's, we're different and that's, that's not something that we go, well, we're not really different. Let's just not see any color at all. It's like, no, we're, we're united in Christ, but it's okay to say that we're different. And like, you know, because I, if I approach him, I'm, I'm a white guy, okay? I'm a white guy. And I was even asking him, okay, so like, what do I call you? You're like, do I call you like a black dude? Or do I call you African-American? Are you gonna be mad if I call you black? Or because like, if you're from Africa and you come here, then you're not really an African-American, like you're an African-African, right? Or if you're a South African who's like a white person and you come to America, then you're, like, then you're an African-American, but you're like a white person, right? I am a European-American, but I never refer to myself as European-American because actually I'm an Australian-American, but I would never refer to myself that way either. So. How does that work? Because in all honesty, I joke about it, but like, I think a lot of people are like, well, do I, am I going to stumble over my words? Like, are you, you're, 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 you're black, are you African? And then I just feel like it's weird, it's awkward. So like, what do I call you, dude? Well, we can really start by St. Andre. Um, that <laughs> that kind of works because um, <laughs> I'm more than just my ethnic background. Um, and so that, what does that presuppose? It presupposes a true and authentic relationship, right? Um, I think when it comes to Caucasians dealing with African Americans, take fear out of the equation so that we can have a true dialogue. I think when you, how should I say it, when you um, use words that you think don't offend me because you're not communicating authentically with your question or desire, you offend me because you don't trust our relationship enough to know that, you know what, I'm a big boy. And I look for motive, not in context, not so much how something tickles my ears or doesn't tickle my ears. And so if Tim comes at me and he says something that's off color, then because of our relationship, I say, hey, 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 slow down. That kind of offended me. Let me tell you how it offended me. And that changes our language going forward. That's the key to it, all of it. So you're saying the key is relationship. Amen. It's, that's it's, how you start amen. to communicate is through that, trying to get to know somebody for right. who they are first. Right. Amen. Well, we're starting to get some questions in, and like I said, you can you start texting those in. How do you save a relationship with a friend when they were shown the wrong representation of Jesus through a group who claimed to be Christian? That's one of the hardest things in the world, and I, I so identify with you guys. It's so frustrating. One of the reasons when I'm out and about and, and people ask me what I do, I'm hesitant to even want to say that I'm a pastor because it's a loaded word. Because so many people then will equip me with the guy, some crazy guy on TV or someone who stole a bunch of money or someone who just wants to scream hellfire and brimstone. So it's like, how do I redefine that? And you know, the, the, the best, you know, one of the things I heard a long time ago, and it's hard, but you have to somehow say, listen, the message is true even though messengers fail. The message that I have is, is true even though the people that deliver it are, are so very fallible and really oftentimes get it very wrong. 
And unfortunately, Christian is a word that people can just commandeer for themselves. And you're really just going to have to show it by, by your life and by your love and by how you authentically live out your life. You can't, you can't, um, you can't do anything about a person's impression. And this is really important, too, because this does, does go to the race issue. You know, you were speaking about this. You don't want to be, you know, you're a black guy. You, you know, you're like, well, all you guys are the same. You're not all the same. You know, you just say, I'm not, just because I'm black doesn't mean I believe this or I want you to speak to that. But just because, so that, that's a stereotype of you. Well, you're, all Christians think this way. And you can throw that back and say, excuse me, um, that doesn't represent me. You know, and that, that's, again, that's that part of that, turning that whole argument back around and saying, let me explain this to you. Um, there are, you know, we have differences, and don't judge me yet by what these other people do. Judge me by the character you see in me. Amen, amen. The message of the gospel is the standard. And so if somebody hurdles bullets at you of what a Christian should be, and it doesn't line up with the gospel, you can reject the premise. And you do that in love, of course, but I think as Christians, far too many times, whether it be a race issue, socioeconomic issue, we're always backed into a corner by somebody else's um, ill motive. No, Christians, we're free. And so we can, we, can, we can attack and show where they're inaccurate in the very nature of how they want to argue with us. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's the key to all of it. Because the question is, how do you save a relationship? If there's a relationship there, relationships are based on what? Trust. And if there's a trust there, then you can say, look, if you're trying to view me through um, skewed eyes right. and a slanted view of what Christians are, that's not fair to me. Just like whatever group you're a part of, I could throw the same thing back at you. There's, so, but again, the media narrative throws Christians under the bus all the time. And you just have to, that, that's, part of, that's part of being a big boy too, or a big girl and saying, you know what? Uh, I just got to deal with the fact that I'm going to get falsely accused of stuff because of, because of my, and, and Christians, are, Christians are mocked all the time in the media. And you know what? Either we, and, and now here's what we're not going to do, guys. And this goes back to the civility thing. I'm not playing the victim card. Okay, I'm not going to go, oh, you know, people don't understand. It's like, okay, i got to realize, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Black, Asian, Hispanic, woman, when are we going to understand? As long as we act like we're victims, no matter what, any, anybody, but anyone can claim they're a victim. Anyone can say, well, I have reason to be a victim. And the more you think that, the more you're going to feel oppressed by the world. And the more oppressed by the world you feel, the more... Um, license you're going to feel to strike back out of anger and retribution. And that's just not what we're called to. So much truth in that. So much truth in what you're saying. Now, um, we're getting a lot of questions coming in now. I wanted to hit that as well because the, the idea there, I think the heart behind the question was the relationship. And you can come at this thing with many logical arguments you want. You can say, hey, you can't judge a philosophy by its abuses. Um, which is true. You wouldn't want to judge any philosophy by that. You have to weigh the actual content of what's being said. But when it comes down to it, what you're asking about is a relationship. How do you save any relationship? Well, you, you outgrace the person. And you have to outgrace the person. And if you're coming at it going, I'm going to win them over with this and this and this and this, you're, you've, you've now turned that's not a relationship anymore. It's an opponent. And you have to focus back on the relationship of the friend. Okay. Um, let me see here. There's a lot here. I was hoping you would talk longer so I could get some of these. Uh, how do you make a relationship work with someone who is a hardcore Catholic? That's interesting, brought up in this, um, this talk in particular, but I'll go ahead and let you. It's, it's the same thing, right? It's, it's a relationship. Yeah. yeah. 
It's, I, I, yeah, I just say, it's the, out, you just said outgrace, yeah. outgrace the person. Um, love introduces, injects a different dimension into the conversation. And that has to be with every, every kind of conflict. There has to be a sense of, and, and that's why, you guys, the civility thing, the upholding human dignity. I could go after the jugular of your soul, but I'm not because you're more valuable than that to me. And that takes strength and discipline. It's easy to be undisciplined and, and vomit all over somebody. It's harder to choose your words carefully. It's harder to love the person when you're taking slings and arrows. And then that we've got to become people who do that. Okay, I like this one. How do you act civil when your pastor says there's no pressure, but that only adds a huge amount of pressure? So I'm thinking what they're, what they're talking about is when we're having this and saying, hey, you know, just have the conversation. Don't be scared. Or it's like, now I'm even more terrified to have the conversation. What, like if you were sitting with somebody who's asking this question face to face, how would you tell them to start about having this conversation, how to be civil and how to, how to handle when people are throwing abuse at you or, or things like that? And it's very difficult. Um, and I appreciate that question so much because it's tough to have those kinds of conversations. But if we take a different approach, right? Let's just say somebody approaches us and they're pretty animated. Let's just not make assumptions. Let's ask the next question. Like if Tim comes at me with a strong position about something that I'm in a disagreement with him, I can't always assume that he's angry. What I can assume, though, is that he's passionate. And in order to determine whether it's passion or anger being perpetuated, I just ask the next question to keep the conversation going. A lot of this fundamentally plays into race relations. Just because I'm an African-American man and I've faced oppression in different ways within our society, don't think that I'm angry because I want to speak up for myself. Listen to what I'm saying because if obviously I'm voicing it to you, there's a value that I see in you, hence the narrative, hence having the conversation. So don't assume, and this is really what's hard for me, don't assume that just because someone has a difference of opinion and they're passionate about it, don't assume that they're mad at you as they share their passion. Because what I find is in order for us to grow and to be civil is, is working through that passion so we have a, a new narrative that goes forward from understanding one another. That's the key. Some of the, best, some of the best friends I have are friends that I vehemently argue with. Why? Because they care enough about me to hold their position. And if my position's flawed, they'll let me know it in love, which is not devoid of passion. Right? That, that, that would be my approach is don't be scared. Don't be scared. Love the person enough, value them enough to say your piece. Now, and there, but there are people that are very, that are angry. They've been fed the media narrative. Right. They've been fed whatever. And again, it goes back to the, if I feel like I'm a victim, then I'm going to blame you. I'm going to blame the society. I'm going to blame whatever. And that, look, that's just, there's angry people out there. Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. Um, I think that's important to realize, especially when you get into family relationships or people that you have to hang out with. But, you know, I, I've told you guys, I've been in disagreements with people on, you know, same-sex marriage issues or whatever. We'll have a nice, normal conversation tr starting with issues. And here's what I believe happens. I believe that they hear things they don't normally hear, and they make sense to them, and they don't want to deal with that. And so the, and I always know because the emotions ratchet up on that side, and the emotions ratchet up higher and higher and higher. Next thing I know, I'm getting, I'm getting you know, when I start getting names called at me, um, and I haven't called anyone names. I start getting accusations. I go, this person's not thinking rationally anymore. They're reacting to what I'm saying. And, and, I, and I know I'm winning the argument. I may be losing the person. I don't, I don't want to win the argument and lose the person. But the fact of the matter is, 
I've had more than, I've had multiple conversations with people where I've just, they haven't heard to the level of, of, of what our, my position is as a Christian. And it rocks them because they realize they built their life on something else and that's being challenged. And they re, and don't be surprised when people, listen guys, this is spiritual warfare. When you bring peace into a situation through the gospel, don't expect to come out of that unscathed. Don't expect to just think that someone's going to go, oh, I didn't realize that. You are going to, you, you realize you will be attacked when you, when you try to say, no, it's not all about race. You will be attacked. This guy who's been attacked for the things that he said over the, over the time because, because of his race, because he doesn't walk in lockstep with everybody that people think he should walk in lockstep with. You will be, you, we have to expect, so we do a series on civility because even in the midst of that, I've got to figure out a way to be stronger and still maintain the image of God that's present in that person. But you will not come out of these conversations unscathed. Don't expect to. This is, this is real stuff. The microaggressions and all that craziness, we save that. We can talk about that too. Let me, well, you're, let me ask you this, because you're on a college campus, you're a professor, Tell us what microaggressions are and what you think about them. Okay, so microaggressions is this idea of not saying something or um, identifying something about someone that could be offensive to them. And so, yes, I just said that. If I notice that you have a southern accent to even ask you if you come from the south could be interpreted as a, a, a microaggression. And, and, and on the college campus, they don't want you to do that. Now understand, this is an institution of higher learning where there should be academic freedom, and conversations should be prevalent that way. Um, and so when we hear about these things called microaggression, it's amazing how this stuff can, if we're not careful, bleed into the church. One of the things that I do like about this whole framework of doing this whole platform thing is, is because some people aren't, um, how should I say it, they haven't come to the point in their um, development to ask a question boldface, and so they can do it through text. And I appreciate that. And I don't take offense to that because sometimes that's just where we are in our Christian walk. But the goal should be, and hopefully the goal is, is that we can come to one another in Christ and say, hey, listen, brother or sister, you said this, and it offended the, the nonsense out of me, and let me tell you why, and be willing to share that case and in love, and hear if some of the uh, assumptions you made were correct or false. Um, but that's not where we're at in this world. Man, you know what? I have to respond to that. Can I just be honest with you? If, if you can, this is, a, this is something that I've just kind of unconsciously applied to my life. If, if I write it because I'm too afraid to say it, I probably shouldn't write it. That's excellent. In other words, Excellent. if I write something to him because Excellent. I'm too afraid to Excellent. go up and say it to his face, Excellent. I probably shouldn't write it to him. Excellent. And that tells you what our relationship is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. That's why it's so easy to drive by on social media and you just wreck somebody because you can do it in the privacy of your own home. That's cowardice, man. And it's in front of everybody. That doesn't solve the problem. Solving the problem is going up to him directly in private and going, dude, help me. Are, are, you, are you mad at the world or what, 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 what do I? You know what? Let's be honest. You're a black guy. I'm a white guy. Do, do you feel like I owe you something? I, I, I want to know the answer to that question because people have been asking that question. So how do you, how do you answer? See, I'm asking him directly. I'm not going, I'm not just thinking, oh, he probably thinks I owe him something. I'm asking him straight out up on this stage. No, you don't owe me a thing. All right, just but just because I have a complaint, don't think that I'm whining. Okay. Because maybe, maybe there's something true in what I'm saying. So don't turn a deaf ear to me just because you can't identify with what I'm saying. Let's do the work so that you understand where I'm at. So there's a difference between you, me, me listening to you and then 
and then conceding to you or, or making the thought of, well, because you have a problem, that means now I've got to give you something. Right. Right. Now, that's important what just happened right yeah. there. Yeah. I can point Very. out. There's what, essentially what we're saying the answer is, is, is to have the conversation with the individual and to free them up to ask questions and then also uh, ask questions within that and, and ask people to redefine things. Ask, hey, I'm not quite sure what you meant in that. Can you, can you explain that? Because we've, we've said this, uh, this comes up every time. It, the, the point, and I, I remember you, you were talking about a conversation you had with somebody, and it was this great conversation. You guys came from completely different sides of, of uh, the argument, and you said, hey, you know what? I want to I wanna understand before I'm understood. And that's important when you're having these types of conversations. That's important in any relational conversation, whether you listen up, husbands. Uh, you want to understand before you're understood. And this is true across the board. That requires asking questions. That requires going, okay, you feel that way. I have to, I have to go, that's okay for you to feel that way. And I have to try to understand that and walk in that for a minute. And then I'm going to try to understand you a little more before I, I let go and fire. And then maybe I'm going to ask another question before I even give another answer. See, and I think that's really important because, like, we talk about the black, and there's, again, there's immigration issues, there's, you know, we're talking about black-white stuff, you know, specifically right now. Um, you know, there's all kinds of other race issues that are out there, but, but I think we, hopefully what you can do is apply these things. So, for example, like, when I was younger, I just, you know, in my mind, I'd be like, hey, I understand that, that you know, there's been um, oppression against black people, but, hey, listen, my grandparents, they never owned slaves. In fact, my, my grandparents, you know, I, I would... They, they fled from oppression from Eastern Europe, and I'm like, so in my mind, I'm like, hey, I'm just not going to deal with that, right? I, you know, I'm sorry, but don't, don't point the finger at me. Now, I can think that way, or I can go, you know what, okay, rather than being defensive about it, I can just listen to what is he trying to say if he senses that there's oppression, and what I've come to realize is go, you know what, I have to acknowledge the fact that, that being, a, being a white guy has not really been a factor for me in my life, meaning like I walk around when, where I've grown up and the things I've tried to pursue, even become a senior pastor here, I didn't have to say, okay, well, I know I'm a white guy, so I'm going to have to kind of get over that fact. The church is going to have to get over Let me ask you an honest question. If, if I were to leave or die or whatever, and you had to find a new senior pastor at Compass Church, um, would the church vote uh, an African-American guy in? Would they vote a Hispanic guy in? An Asian guy in? Well, you might, but how many people would have to kind of go, hmm, hmm, Right? So all I'm saying is, is there's a, it's important to just get to, if I try to see the world through his eyes a little bit and go, you know, the fact that he's, that he's raised in a culture where he's been a black guy, that, that has been a thing for him. Like he's had to kind of, there's been some things that he's had to kind of deal with because of that that haven't been things I had. It doesn't mean that he should, that he has to, it doesn't mean he's a victim per se. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm so sorry now he has to, he's owed all this stuff because he doesn't want to be owed anything. He's a man, he can stand on his own two feet. But I, but, I, but I have to acknowledge and go, and it just simply goes back to your point. I need to listen and go, hmm, maybe there's just some things I didn't know about the experience people have had. Am yeah, I and the other side of it is, is just because you haven't had the same experience, don't paint with a broad stroke that everything is wonderful. Because what, what I'm saying that? to you is, is the opposite. That's the key to all of this. That's the key to all of this. And so as we enter into how things are different in your experience in this quote-unquote land of the free... Freedom is not defined the same for all people in all segments of, of life. 
And so when we think about that conversation and what that looks like as we are trying to progress toward this ideology of freedom, we've got to wrestle. We've got to wrestle to every compartment of society in order to attain that goal of being civil. You know, and I'd say with like for me, um, I was I told you guys I was a hooligan when I was growing up. I mean, as I it brushes with the cops and everything else. I grew up in a two-parent household um, with parents that were all over me, and I still just had a sin nature. You transplant that in, a, in an inner-city neighborhood with no father and a mother that worked all the time, put the same kid, me, in a different situation, um, I guarantee you I could see a path where I would be spending a long time in prison. That does not take away from personal responsibility. It does not. What it does do, though, is it causes us to step back and go, okay, before we just lob out these statements that make us feel better about how we think we understand the world, how do we develop a heart that say, you know what, maybe things are a little more complicated than we think they are, and if I can do that, then I step outside myself and say, I don't know everything, and if I don't know everything, then I can listen, and maybe I might understand, and then maybe I might be able to relate and connect with somebody. I think, am I, am I, I think I'm hitting that. No, that's right on. That's right on. Yeah, I think what Andre's saying here, and it's, you got to unpack, there's a lot to un unpack, and there's a lot of questions pouring in, so I'm going to do my best to kind of keep us going, but we're talking about the topic of civility. How do we interact with each other and keep the idea that we are made in the image of God and that we have to honor the dignity that is inherent in each of us? So as we're talking about that, listening to Andre speak on that, and he's, he's saying, hey, don't, don't assume this. You know, you were saying that basically words don't land on people the same way, per se. And that's an important, that's an important distinction, because if we're speaking two different languages and we're not even aware of it, then we're just, we're, we're just talking and no one's hearing anything. And so it just takes that moment to say, well, what, what do you mean by that? Because when you say that, I hear this. And uh, speaking to that. That's exactly it. Intentionality is the key to all of it, right? Um, it's almost better that if you don't want to truly engage in the conversation, then don't. But don't have a conversation and not be engaged. Does that make, does that make sense? Um, and so in this idea of being civil to one another, if you care to get my opinion on said things, whatever that might be, then wait to hear my heart in it. I think so many times because of society and because of our busyness, we will have conversations at a shallow level and we will get nowhere. And then you wonder why, right? Because this whole topic is cumbersome. And for some, it's tiring. It's very tiring to have this conversation. And I'm very tired of this conversation. But the one thing that keeps hitting me is that we're having this conversation because we haven't matured from it. And so that makes it important. And so then I have to vet my own process and say, why am I tired of this conversation? And then I get convicted because I haven't been as active in the conversation as I could be. And that's why we're doing this. Well, really, and I know a lot of the questions have come in like, Okay, I feel this way, but what about these people that, you know, that, that, are, that don't think this way? And all, I can tell, all we can tell you is you have to lead. We yeah. have to lead, which means we have to be the ones that instruct people how to interact, that we have to be the ones that set the tone and the example with that civil dialogue and with that respect. And you may not always get it back, but see, this, this is just, we're like just scratching the surface of all this kind of stuff. Well, I think on that too, there's a lot of questions going, well, how do I do this? How do I have this conversation? They don't want to have that. The moment you say they, do you realize what you've done? You stop the conversation because you're assuming that they won't have it. 
you have to treat people like individuals. And you can't, and here's the, the crazy thing Tim already hit upon with the gospel, is that you're not promised it's going to work out. You're not promised that you're going to be understood, but you have to outgrace the other person. It's funny throughout Scripture, whenever Paul's dealing with issues, and he's saying, he's saying these guys don't get it, you know, meat sacrifice to idols or this type of thing. You know, there's all these problems that arise. This guy, he, he doesn't realize the freedom that he has. Paul never asks the weaker brother to step up and figure it out. He always asks the stronger brother to empathize with the weaker brother. And you got to realize the church has to lead on all this stuff. And then when I say the church, I'm not, don't sit around waiting for the church to do it. Be the church. You have to be individuals that step up and have the conversation, that make friends, that go out and say, you know, I want to understand you. I want to love on you because that's, that's the kind of grace that was shown to me. Take control of the narrative. Take control of the narrative, really. Step out in faith and take control of the, the conversation. Um, how do we keep ourselves from becoming stereotypical Christians? Just walk in obedience to Jesus. Hopefully it's a good stereotype. And don't be weird. <laughs> I'm offended. <laughs> or be weird because you want to break out of the stereotype. Um, yeah, I think the, the assumption is there, there is a stereotype right within that. So you, you, you break stereotypes by learning the individual, always. Guys, I th here's the thing that's really important. We live in a pluralistic society. One of the most annoying things Christians do is they act, we act like, we, we, however you feel about, you know, was this founded as a Christian nation, that argument doesn't work anymore. So when you walk around acting like that, that our Christian culture is, is kind of the ruling majority culture that's just kind of gone astray, people, people bristle against that. We have to go into the culture as missionaries into a foreign land. And when you're a missionary, you learn the customs, you learn the culture, you ask the questions. You don't walk in going, well, you know, everybody, if we just went back to Christian values, that's, that's stereotypical Christians that are really annoying, is when they just broadcast this stuff. When, you go, when you're a missionary, you walk in humility into a new culture, you learn a new language, and you connect the gospel to that culture. If we have an army of Christian men and women who know how to do that, with humility, then we'll be much better for it. You've got to learn to think like a missionary. That's how you keep from becoming a stereotypical Christian. We have time for a few more, right? Yeah, let me, let me crank some of these That's out. That's the last service. When do you draw the line of being relational with someone with opposing views? Is there a point where it becomes harmful for yourself to be around someone who has such different moral views? It died. No, that's a great question, whoever uh, sent that one in. I think that whenever a relationship does not promote the value of a human being, yourself or the other person, I don't think that it's a rela relationship you should continue to invest in. Does that make sense? Absolutely, 100% agree. God did not call you to be a whipping post or someone that just takes abuse from someone like that. That's just not... No. I mean, I've, I've, I, trust me, I'm not, you know, someone asked in the last service about, you know, what's the difference between niceness and civility? I go, I want to be civil. I was never called to be nice. The word nice does not occur in the Bible at all. And believe me, I've looked. I can't find it. And I'm not a nice person. I'm only, I'm not, I swear to you, I'm not. I, I'm, I've been, I've been <laughs> redeemed by the gospel. By nature, I'm a jerk. 
So I don't, I don't pursue niceness. I pursue clarity and truth and goodness, right, and integrity. I don't, I don't wake up and go, how can I be nice today? I don't care about niceness. I want, and so, and I don't, and by the way, so if somebody, I, I, we deal respectfully with people, but trust me, there's plenty of times in Scripture when Paul, when he was getting abused by the Roman court, he's like, excuse me, I'm a Roman citizen. Back off. And they did. Okay? The, 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 this is like, we don't just, but, we, but that still is not attacking the human being and the dignity of the human individual. So that's what we're talking about. But anyway, yeah. I think it's important to figure out, too, what do you mean by line? Do you mean that you just have no connection for them? You don't care about them? They're dead to you? Is that what we're talking about? Or is it like, you know what, I, I can't, there's no point in having this conversation anymore. You should have boundaries in your life. Yeah. And if they cross, if someone crosses the boundary, you say, excuse me, you crossed the boundary. I don't care who they are, Christian, non-Christian, whatever. I'm sorry, that's a boundary, you just crossed it. Sorry, you don't do that. Because when they start attacking your humanity, that's just, that's, you're, you're, you're just as valuable as they are. And that's, they, I don't care what, where they come from, you, know, you don't do that. Okay, I'm going to hit some of these because we're running low on time. Can I do kingdom work alongside a Mormon, Muslim, or homosexual? Wow, that's a great question. Well, you should probably... Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> well, no, that, that's, a, that's a real good Can question. Can you do kingdom a, a work? Lot of, a lot of what me and yeah. Brother Tim do for our military servicemen and women is to that vein. It is to that vein. Um, when you think of kingdom work, you're obviously talking about um, a conviction or a mission greater than yourself. And honestly, from what the Bible communicates about God is he uses the just and the unjust to carry out his plan throughout humanity and the history thereof. And so, and so the, answer would, the answer would be yes, as long as the actions that you're doing, um, there's an agreement on the, the, the morality associated to human flourishing or human growth, okay? Um, yeah, I mean, as, as, as chaplains, we work with other chaplains who are not of the same conviction, but we share in the mission to our servicemen and women to make sure spiritually their needs are met. So the answer would be yes, you can do that. But you have to know the distinction, and that's not always easy. It's fuzzy sometimes. Yes, if someone is drowning in a car that's gone into a river, and there's a Muslim and a homosexual and a Mormon and me, and we're all trying to get that person out, we're all going to get that person out. That's right. I'm not going to go, well, you know, you're a gay guy, so you can't help. Um, and so I think, th th no, we, we, we work together for, for good of, the good of society, um, and, we, and it gets messy sometimes, and that's okay. Can we discuss the concepts of white privilege and cultural appropriation? Oh, yes, please. Wow, did you see how he jumped on that? Okay, I think cultural appropriation is stupid. I think the whole thing is dumb. Um, I just think I reject it completely. I think it's, it's, a, it's a product of a society that has gone off the cliff. Um, I, I re completely reject it. I would like Andre to speak on white privilege. I only say, about, I only say this about white privilege. Um, it depends on how you define it. I reject the indictment of guilt upon an entire group of people. Um, I think the last time we did that was back in the 30s in Germany when there was a group of people that were told they were oppressed because of there were another group of people, and that group of people had to pay. Um, and I think you know who I'm talking about. So um, you could call it Jew privilege. These rich Jews are putting us down. So I have a problem when I see seeping in from the far left and the not so far left this idea of a certain group of people 
has indicting a group of people for a sin against another group of people when the, that when that was not direct. I just have a real problem with that. However, defined differently, I can understand it. So speak to that, please. And what I would say, I agree in everything that you said, and I would also say from my perspective that it's been obvious historically through the development of this country, your journey through society and the opportunities that have been presented for you um, have been different than the opportunities that I have had within my journey based on my ethnic background. And so, yes, just like you said, it can be a negative connotation, um, but it can also be a realistic perspective. And so I'm not going to sit there mm. and say there's no such thing of white privilege because if that was the case, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And so how you approach the narrative is very, very, very helpful. It's very helpful. Yes, being Caucasian historically has lended itself to some obvious privileges that I have seen when I look at the plight of Caucasian individuals compared to my own plight. And I can say that freely and confidently because it's true. So, uh, yeah, and, and I hear, and I can, ag I can agree with that, and I think that's an important point to make. Where I think it becomes dangerous is when it says, therefore, because of this, now we just take, we just take it too far. And so you, so you don't impose guilt upon me, right? It would not be a part of the Christian narrative. Right. Impose guilt. So I, I, you don't see, like, I've, I haven't done something, like my very existence does not hurt you. Would you say that? No. Okay. So Because my existence isn't defined by yours. You see? That's the key. Yeah. That's the key. When we think about this whole race thing, how we approach the world shapes the lens in how we communicate race. And I got to tell you, if you don't have the biblical foundation where value is defined for us, then what you're going to do through your own lens is define people's value, and that's problematic. That's right. And, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Um, but, but there's also the idea of a sovereign God who made you African-American, made me white, and then through our redemption, we've had to come to terms with the implications of that in our society, and that has caused me to go, okay, Jacobs, you got to see the world through different eyes because God loves everybody. Right. You've had to go, okay, listen, I can approach the world through the, the fact that, you know, I could have had this, you know, that, that white people have this privilege, but I can't hold on to that anger or whatever else that would, that would well, right? Yeah, I mean, Genesis, we're made in the image of God. Well, the image of God looks like different ethnicities. Right. You see, that's why the gospel is key, because we will always misvalue one another. Okay. We will always misvalue one because our lens is flawed. That's why the Christian testimony is so necessary in this day, and that's why, church, we have to lead this conversation. Because what's happening is, is whenever we define someone by their ethnic group or affiliation, we've misvalued them. Right. I think, too, in, in that effect, you know, we're talking about lenses, racial lenses, and we have a society with political correctness that says, we should just not have lenses. It's like, well, you, you can't do that. I only have the eyes I have to see the world. I only have my own experience to measure it by, but our maturity is measured by our ability to see things from other people's perspectives. And when you take the time to do that, when you take the time to, to go, okay, let me hear more from you. You know, it's funny. Uh, I know we're out of time. So I'm going to go on anyways. Um, we, we were having a conversation last night about um, the NFL and the protests and things. like This was after church. Yeah. And Andre and I and Tim were in there and, and uh, some of our 
other staff, and we're, we're talking. And it was interesting because we just took time to go, I could see what you mean. And I walked away from that conversation, and I had heard this guy on the radio because they had people call in, and he goes, I, I love the protest because I feel like people are using the voice that they have. And I thought that was, a, that like had me to, I had to, had to question, I had to open up my own assumptions. Because when I hear the national anthem, I think of um, my aunts and uncles who came from poverty in the Philippines and served in the military and worked really hard to get here. But I had to recognize that somebody might not hear that when they hear the national anthem. And I went home and I was reading this speech by Frederick Douglass because I was challenged in my own, my own thinking. And he was talking, he was asked to commemorate the Declaration of Independence on 4th of July. And as he was asked to do that, he kind of used it as his platform to say, you know, I, I like to come up here and say this is the greatest thing in the world, but it hasn't been for all of us yet. And so when you say words like liberty and justice, they feel like hollow promises. And I had to, I had to wrestle with the fact that that is a, a genuine perspective that I never wrestled with. And I think that's what it takes. When you have the conversation, you have to, you have to recognize and legitimize somebody else's perspective, and, and you have to try to understand them before you can be understood. And then you have to work into that conversation um, from that. Because again, if we're just kind of both talking at each other, then there's no, there's no, there's no tension, like genuine tension, where there's going to be growth and maturity. Exactly. I mean, tell me a scenario where growth happens without tension. There are none. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that too. You know, when we talk about the protests and the NFL thing, and you know, I think that you, that people have the right to do what they want to do. But then other people have the right to interpret that, right. and and they and the people that if you're protesting, you're gonna the, there's there may be consequences for that, and there may that you that you if you're gonna protest, you have to be willing to take that. And I think I, I really look at it and go, I think there's confusion. I think I think um, one side is trying to say something, and the other side is not really. It, it, I, I think it's for me, I think it's unfortunate because I think it's there's a message that's being sent that I'm not qu quite sure is, is getting through because of, the, because of how we look at certain things and the way the military has been grouped into all of it. And I don't necessarily think that the guys that are doing it are attacking the military per se. At the same time, I just, I don't know. So it's, it's frustrating because it goes back to your point of we're just saying two different things. There's, there's no one, there's just messages being sent out that are like in a different language. Right. And, and the message is being received isn't, I don't think the message is being given and vice versa. But it's that's a whole thing we could. It started, yeah. I mean, just simply, if you don't know the argumentation, Colin Kaepernick knelt for the injustices that are happening to African American men with our, our police department. Um, the uncivil actions that are taking place. Now what's happening in the NFL, because the conversation has changed, is, is this idea of unity as a league with all the players based on some of the defamatory language from our commander-in-chief. And so the argumentation is very different, and if you're n you don't listen with an intent ear, you're going to miss the true argumentation. Okay, what started off, and that's what happens, and that's why we have to have these panel discussions, because sometimes agendas switch and we never get resolution to how the conversation began in the first place. I mean, we do that a lot. We do that a lot as a society. Um, when, when we get in an uncomfortable spot, we'll change the narrative just slightly so as to come to a resolution and then we can kumbaya and go forward. 
No, we can't because we've never really addressed the true issue and where it started. That's what's going on right. in the NFL. It's, it's, very, it's very confusing. And, and again, the, I think that takes us, you know, because we could argue that for the next half hour or whatever. I'm not even really desiring to do that except to say the broader point is that that illustrates, again, the continuing narrative of division that's going to continue to crop up and to kind of just, I know you're going to wrap this up because yeah. we're a little bit late um, and it's your fault. And um, See, I, but can't, it's, I can't wrangle you guys in. Sorry, but, but I just think it's important because <laughs> if, you, if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, I'm frustrated because what about, don't, don't look for sound bites in what we're saying. Look, look at us as saying, listen, these are guys who love Jesus. They're on the journey. They're looking, they're looking through their eyes of their own experience, and they're trying to come together as brothers, not to just shave off the rough edges, but as iron sharpens iron, and to really become stronger and to learn from each other so that we can forge ahead in this. And I, I, I like I said, you cultural appropriation was properly. I reject that is the the idea that 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 two white people can't open up a Mexican restaurant because they're be appropriating the culture of Hispanics. I, that that is like the dumbest thing in the world in my mind. Yeah, um, where would we get Taco Bell from? I mean, <laughs> we need that <laughs> Dorito shell tacos. <laughs> On that note, I think we're done. <laughs> oh man, uh, I had to bring it to that. The. Uh, it is an interesting, and I know, I know some people sitting here are disappointed because you're like, oh, we didn't get into the Word, or you didn't get to my question. We did get in the Word. We did get in the Word. We talked so about I the want, Word. So I want to let you know that the whole point of this, it's not in hearing the Word that's important, it's in doing the Word. And we have to take the time to be the church. Um, somebody wrote in, you know, that, that the most segregated day of the week is Sunday. How does the church change that? This. You we have to have here. this conversation. You have to invite your friends to church. The, your circle of friends needs to look different. And we, we have to do that. And uh, it starts with treating people like individuals. It starts with courage. It starts with grace. I mean, I mean you, you say you hate cultural appropriation, but I, I think it's the most logical response when you don't have the gospel. What else is the world going to do? Because they don't have the answers. And so the only way we're going we're gonna to do I mean, we sang this, you know, he breaks down walls. There was chains around us, and he, he frees us. Only, it's going to come back to that Colossians 3.11 as we embrace and embody the gospel. So I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we'll end it there. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your truth. We thank you for the cross that you died once and for all, that you saw... Uh, something you felt worth saving. And God, I pray that as we experience this grace that's incomprehensible, like why on earth would you do that? That you would challenge us to be extensions of that grace, to embody it, to come down and to dwell among others, to take those steps, to live out the gospel. So we thank you for your spirit that you give us, that we can, we can have power and boldness in that. That we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel, but we can launch forward knowing that your grace is sufficient to cover all our mistakes, and we can make those mistakes in boldness, pursuing your love, pursuing your truth. So be our wisdom, be our vision, be our strength as we 
push your kingdom forward. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.